Indeed, you are listening to Men's Radio Station, where men really do talk so much so that Ross Kane is actually right in the middle of conversing with our very, very special guest, who's still in the studio with us, Peter Thornley, a.k.a. Kendo, I can't say it in this sort of voice. Kendo Nagasaki. I can't say it like that. No. I'd like to, that's but I just don't think people would take me it. seriously if You're I did this. You're not butchered enough. That's what it is. <laughs> and for once, you can't argue. Do you know what? I suppose someone tough. had to say it. Really, didn't they? We're still waiting for a volunteer for the headlock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it won't be me. You are listening to Men's Radio Station, and if you would like to join in in any of the subjects that we are covering in today's show, we really would love to hear from you. It really couldn't be easier. If you tried, the best way to contact us, of course, would be by telephone number. We'll give out the number in just a moment's time. So, producer James, have that jingle standing by because I know how much Russ paid for it. But the the reason why we want your interaction today is very simple. We are talking about serious subjects. We are talking about society's attitudes towards the LGBTQ plus community and how it has progressed, if at all. You know, do we still have a bit of work that needs to be doing? We've even gone out, producer James and I have gone out on the streets and we have spoken to some of you in the great land that is Covent garden we'll hear that a little later on so do stay tuned for that alone but we'd love to get your thoughts so why not tell us exactly what you believe society needs to do in order to improve attitudes and maybe tell us a little bit about your experiences as well maybe you are part of the lgbtq plus community and have experienced something that was less than savory and tell us about it we'd love to hear and what it was like for you as well to actually come out as someone from the community as well well i that was remarkably articulate. Um, wow. Should we give the telephone number, though, so they know what to do? Uh, yeah, OK. <laughs> if you could see Phil Dave's face right now, it's so annoying. <laughs> it's just bloody infuriating. He hates that jingle. And I love it. Well, thank you, David Mindle. For That's the main thing. That's and also, if you did want to comment along on Facebook, we should say as well, please go yeah, to facebook.com Facebook yeah. forward slash men's radio STN. Thank you. Do that again, because because uh, it's so easy. And then we can we can uh, converse with you live. Absolutely. That, how do they do that again? Facebook.com Facebook. forward slash yeah. men's radio STN. So the shortened version of station. See what we did there. Oh, that's what it stands for. Yeah. Okay. 0203290 Don't be shy. Just do call in. So in the studio with a book the size of the fourth bridge, um, known professionally as Kendo Nagasaki. I'm just doing that in case there's voiceover artists listening. Um, Peter Thornley. Peter you managed to ruin everything. You bring it all down to them. I thought I was bad. Peter Thornley, thank you. Thank you for sticking around. I know you've Pleasure. come a long way. You say uh, men uh, talk. I was talking. I said men talk. Um, and, wow. Lauren, and Lauren, <laughs> thank, thank you. Yeah, fire. Whoa. <laughs> the gauntlet's been There may well down. be a headlock yet before yeah. the end of and, the show. And uh, Lawrence, you've been very quiet, but thank you for coming. Thank you for coming <laughs> as well. Lawrence is like sitting on the bench behind us now in case you're wondering who, who, who that is now we are joined by philip baldwin philip thank you so much for coming in really appreciate it well th thank you very much for having me on your show today it's an absolute pleasure and i'm going to ask you what phil is gesticulating although he looks like a a bookie at the 330 at kempton park doing that is if you could just begin to, they're very very sensitive like like we are to be honest with you. Um, Phil, like, before I go back to, to Philip Baldwin, I'm going to ask a question which I know is pig ignorant, but I never can get it right. What do those initials stand for? LB? 
LGBTQ+. Okay, so my understanding, and I'm hoping that someone is going to correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe it is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, plus. Plus indicating other people who identify as something other than stereotypical sexuality. Mm. How come, how come, uh, we can't say this on BBC, but we can say it on men's radio station, how come the word queer is there? What is that? Um, so I, I would say to your to, to, to your earlier question, yeah. um, it's lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, um, intersex, asexual. Um, what's then, what's that's a few extra what's, letters. What's intersex? So it, intersex is someone who is born with uh, characteristics um, of both genders. And that's actually 1.7% of the population. So it's the same number of people globally who have red hair. So it, it's, not, it, it's not that unusual. Just, Is that what some people would rightly or wrongly refer to as someone who might be classed as hermaphrodite? Is that what that is? is that um, like? No. No, because if you're a hermaphrodite, you're born, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you're born with both sex, both sets of reproductive organs. Yeah. Right. Okay. That no, no, that's fine, because that I not? need to clarify, because I don't, I don't know these things, so it's good to educate. Well, that's, that's one permutation. Obviously, with intersex people, there's a spectrum of characteristics. Okay. So, has that covered everybody now? Um, you had the plus, you, you left plus signs, so, you know... Because the plus sign red... is used, the plus sign is used to, as I say, other people who are not necessarily included in the LGBTQ letters. There are, as Philip has just mentioned, other identities, and some of them are not always mentioned, so the plus indicates that. It's a constant learning curve for me. I'm just getting over the fact Rock, Rock Hudson was gay, so it was a bit of a was shock. Was he? Yeah, there's a shock. Who knew? <laughs> Who saw that coming? Who the hell? Who I, the, well, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> now, Philip, this is uh, interesting stuff because you're here to talk about, especially in, in this month, uh, HIV and hepatitis C. Tell us a bit about yourself and your story, as they say. Well, I, I was diagnosed with HIV in January 2010 uh, when I was 24 years old. Um, then um, a week later, I was diagnosed with hepatitis C. Uh, when I went to the HIV clinic over my lunch break from work, it really came as a complete shock to find out that I was HIV positive. The nurse leaned over, put her hand on my leg and gently told me that I was HIV positive. I was sitting in that chair and I thought that my entire world was collapsing. Um, the first year after my HIV diagnosis was particularly difficult. And I would say that it took about three years for me really to come to terms with my HIV diagnosis. It was only after about three years that I felt comfortable telling my parents about my HIV diagnosis. I think both in terms of coming out as gay and revealing my HIV status, I found it hardest telling the people I loved the most. You know, you know <clears throat> I always find it fascinating, and, and thank you, because one of the things that we want to do at MRS Men's Radio Station is having experts, but having people who are in the middle of whatever 
we're we're talking about so your bravery and your courage for coming in is hugely appreciated so there you are you've taken you think well i'll just pop over to the clinic in my lunch break and then you're given like the most no because this is this is what really fascinates me philip because you know it's all very well you read all these highbrow articles and everything but you've popped over from work you're sitting there and suddenly your world explodes were you able to, I mean, it sounds dumb, but were you able to go back to work or did you collapse or what, what happened? Well, I experienced a range of emotions, um, shock, anger, grief. Um, I, I left the STI clinic and I, I actually walked back to my apartment, which fortunately was, was quite nearby. Uh-huh. I'd lay down on the sofa in my apartment, curled up in a fetal position and started crying. About 45 minutes later, I realized that my BlackBerry was bleeping Mm. and I did need to be back in the office. So um, I went back to work and the moment I walked through the bronze doors of the law firm that I walked at, literally, I just began to project a facade. Um, a facade that everything was okay. I sat how down. Did you, how did you manage to muster that? You see, it's very interesting. It link, links on. It links on here from Peter, whose facade was Kendo Nagasaki, physically putting on a mask. Uh, but you didn't have the the luxury of actually having a physical mask to put on. How did you, with that news, manage to project? Hey, everything's okay. I think it was a coping mechanism, partly self-denial, and I, um, I was very conscious of wanting to firstly learn more about HIV and then um, have, have some emotional understanding around it around what this condition was going to mean for me in the long term myself before before I I began to tell people and I was also concerned about the stigma of HIV I didn't know how my work colleagues would react how when eventually you told them or it it came out how did they react um so I I told them uh, at the end of 2012 so that's almost three years after my HIV diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And they were all very supportive of me. Um, I continued to work as a lawyer. And it, it was actually quite empowering because having the acceptance of my work colleagues was one of the final steps in really gaining acceptance around my HIV status. Um, Something that is quite interesting to highlight, though, is in 2011, so this is a year after my HIV diagnosis, Mm. I did a secondment to my law firm's New York office. Now, just the previous year, the USA had changed their immigration policies. And prior to, to 2010, if you were HIV positive, you had to declare your HIV status as you were entering the country. Mm, I didn't know that. Wow. So, uh, um, and for some of the other secondment destinations like Singapore, they'll only let 
an HIV positive person stay in the country for 30 days. So I was really worried about telling HR that I was HIV positive mm. because I thought this could maybe limit my career options in the future. And you're, you're obviously a, a high-flying lawyer, obviously, if they're sending you on these secondments to, to New York, etc. So it would matter a lot to you and your career path. Um, so I, I worked in the city for five years. Um, I was very lucky to work for, um, for, for an international law firm for White and Case. They gave me some great opportunities. Um, they, they worked me very hard as well. I had to do uh, very long hours. Um, but I, I think I probably couldn't be the activist that I am today had it not been for those five years that I was working in the city. I think they did help to mould me as an individual. Before we get on to you being an activist, which is <clears throat> another whole chapter in your life, uh, I'm going to be uh, direct, if I may. Were you surprised, let me phrase it differently, were you surprised that you were HIV positive because you had been careful or you hadn't been careful? So, um, I, I you was... You can tell me to mind my own business. Uh, no. You, you I, have I, absolute I, carte blanche to say piss off. I'm no, not answering that. You're, you're uh, totally entitled. Uh, th th that's completely okay. So, it, it, it was a complete shock for me. So, in April 2009, I'd had a full STI checkup and I'd been clear for all STIs. Mm. So I then went to, it was, it was January 2010, so only eight or nine months later that I went back for another checkup. And um, in the end, was that because you uh, forgive me? Uh, was that because you didn't feel well or you always made sure you had regular checkups? So I had, um, from about the age of 17, I'd made a point of getting a checkup at least twice a year. In this instance, I actually went to the STI clinic because um, on a, so I, it was a Monday that I went in, and on the Saturday, I'd had sex with a guy and the condom had come off during sex. And there is a treatment called post-exposure prophylaxis, um, which is a course of HIV drugs. And if you take it within 72 hours of exposure, mm -hmm. it can stop the HIV virus taking hold. So that was what prompted the visit to the clinic right. on on that Monday. But in that period between April and January, I'd actually only had um, four sexual partners. So I, I completed my law conversion in uh, July 2009. So literally, I'd spent all my time in the library. Working. I, yeah. yeah. Working yeah. away. Yes, it's interesting. Uh, I've got to ask. I've got, I've got to ask, Peter. Is this something that you you were worried about with your with your? <clears throat> well, I, I went through a similar experience that this gentleman went through. Of course, in 1987, George, gorgeous George, mm. was diagnosed with HIV. Oh, uh, and uh, he died in late 1988. 
Uh, and I went, I mean, I supported him totally because he was, he was living in the property that I am. We were living in Clapham at the time right. in London here. We went to the clinic in St. Thomas's. Yeah. And I used to go with him every other week or every week to the, because it was, it, it was separate from the actual, uh, what you used to call the clap clinic in those days. <laughs> it was above the clap clinic, as we called it. And that was the HIV specialist place. And I went with him every, every day. And, and the, the very last thing that we actually did together, George and I, <clears throat> he wanted to go and see Phantom of the Opera right. on Broadway. So I booked Concord and we went over and flew over on Concord <laughs> to see the Phantom of the Opera. And he died a month later. That was the last thing. Oh God, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get all weeping. What an amazing thing. That was thing the last to thing do. we ever did together. And I can wow. I can feel oh, I'm I'm emotional about that even now. It's what it's, a nice thing to do, guys. Uh, but what a nice beautiful, yeah, beautiful thing, thing really, to do. It really, really, really moves me. Yeah. And we were so close, you know. And I've recently just lost another friend to HIV. He contracted HIV at the same time, roughly the same time as George. And he died about three months ago. He, so, he, had, he did get on the HIV these treatments and everything. So that's a much so longer, because George did. went in a, in a George year. George went quickly, yeah. In a year. So about 18 months. Wow. Uh, we don't know how long he'd had it when he was diagnosed. He went into hospital for something else, into St. Thomas's, and to, for, for another problem. And when I went to visit him, they moved him up to the top floor to the private clinic, yeah. private patients only. And when I went... On the door, it said contagious disease. I thought, what's wrong with him now? And when I went in, he told me that he had found out that he was HIV positive just by because they did the blood test, yes. of course. And just by he didn't go in for a test for that particular thing, but mm. they found out. And of course, then we went down this horrendous road. And I, I mean, I was a friend of Liberace's as well, would you believe? You were a friend of Lee's? I met Lee in, in, in the 70s when he was over here doing. Program here. Was, it, uh, was that his Palladium shows? And he, stuff he, like he, that? No, he did a series of thirteen things for for London Weekend Television, and at uh, on, what was the place? The uh, the big studios out in Southbank. The no, uh, no, no, Teddington. Teddington. No, the, the big the, the cinema where they do the films. Pinewood. Pinewood. Oh yeah. He, he, he shot them from there. Did he? And I went out. He invited us to go there. And my mum and my mum and dad met him backstage once, and uh, for, for ridiculous reasons that I won't bore you with. And not they, they were not in any form of the entertainment industry, and they said he was absolutely fantastic. Oh, he was just the most guy. charming guy. Well, he fell in love with a guy called David Garrick. That's how we met him. David Garrick was a small pop star. Well, he's a big pop star. There. Of the of the sixties, wasn't he, David Garrick? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Do you know you got me? I'm, I don't interfer know. I'm interrupting. No, this you're man's. not. No, no, no. It's a conversation. Uh, uh, this is right. Uh, or David Garrick, and we went to see a guy called Lee Sutton. who used to do a drag show. Yes, in, in, I've in heard of Lee Sutton. Lee Sutton. Big, yeah. Well, he, him and Daniel Larue started together, and Lee Sutton was always bitter about Daniel Larue because Daniel Larue took off, and, Just and a Lee bit. stayed do. But Just Lee a used bit. to run, run a review in in South London. And we went to see this review one, one Sunday Sunday evening. We, of course, with David, David Guy, George, myself, and David Guy. Then there's this sort of silence, and in what this troop of people, Veronica, Veronica, what was her name? Veronica, somebody there. Veronica, Don't big know. pop star, big uh, film star. Veronica, Veronica Lee. Not, Veronica, not Veronica Lake. No. Veronica Ver Lake. That's you're it. Kidding me. No, Veronica Lake walked in. Dear Liberace. God. All right, well, we've lost. We've lost boy producer. Liber I'm, I'm Liberace. So look up. Danny Larue. Danny Larue. Danny Larue. Ah, ah. All walked in this silence, and, and Lee sat down, and he sat at this table, and we were about two tables away. Then Lee sent over somebody who got with him, who was oh, an, yes. EM, an EMI A and R guy yeah. who knew him. 
and came and asked to invite us over to his table because he fancied. Uh, so you're on the goss. You don't, you don't listen to He fancied the uh, David Garrick. Well, you listen to men's radio station. I know this is a little bit off topic. Small world, isn't it? Yeah, that's <laughs> crazy, isn't it? It is a very small world, yeah, crazy yeah. small. But I don't um, want to paint it. But what, what was the, the, the thing with Liberace? Like I I, for me, I haven't. I've just. I know well, he was a pianist. One of his biggest things was, was that he it. sued a, 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 he sued a national newspaper for calling him gay, he didn't he? He sued uh, Cassandra, the man That's who right. wrote uh, under the pseudonym yeah. Cassandra, because Cassandra wrote as near as he could this man's a homosexual he didn't say those words but he but used he the word mincing yeah. he used also do you know this case he won it I, he, he won, won the case I've read he won the case yeah. Yeah, we had, in we fact the brilliant in fact the brilliant Bobby Crush if you're listening Bobby hi uh, the brilliant Bobby Crush did a one man show all about uh, he did it at the German Street Theatre and it was terrific all about the court case and it was verbatim and he won the case which if you think about it is like what? Very yeah, bold. but he won it. But was he Liberace actually gay? Oh, oh yeah, just, was yeah, Liberace was he? gay? I was he? I, yes, no, I don't know. No, <laughs> huge. Yeah. All right, let me explain. In a, let me, James, in a nutshell. I have no idea. In a nutshell. Who is this person? In, in, I'm young. I'm 24. Like <laughs> When you're 24 yesterday, trust me, you don't know who the hell Liberace is. Liberace was in... in, in the, you're coming out of World War Two. Everything's in black and white. Everything's miserable. London's in bits, right? If I went to my dad's office down at the wharfs, uh, you know, you're driving past bomb sites. It was as miserable as hell. Okay. Don't forget, food rationing didn't finish till... I the think, 50s, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. the yeah. 50s. 57 was the end of food rationing in Britain. Wow. And I say that to American audiences when I do my shows. They go, they, they can't believe it. No. Right, what's that? Oh, there Lee! Hey, there he is. There's a picture of Lee. Is he gay? <laughs> is, is he gay? And he Can would, look he would uh, be very flamboyant, and everybody loved the costumes and the jewellery and everything like that. And he could play the piano as well. Oh, by he, the he was way. good. And that really was his name. That's Rocky. all I know him for, is that he was a very good piano player. He was, he was excellent, but his shows were spectacular. Now, back to <laughs> Philip Baldwin. There's a great film about it, Behind the Candelabra. Oh, that's, have you that? never seen that that's film? That's a fabulous no. film. You'll, you'll know all. Michael, you know Douglas, about Michael Douglas Jr. and Matt Damon. That's exactly what it was like. Michael Douglas Jr. and Matt Damon playing against type. It's a brilliant film if you've never seen it Behind the Candelabra. Right. Philip Baldwin. Sorry about that. <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry to interrupt. But, um, one thing I've got to say is you look very well. Am I allowed to say that? I, it's probably a bit it's true. crash. You know, but I, you, you look great. You know, I could say that. I've never met you before, but you look very well. So I, I think it, it was really poignant uh, li listening uh, to your story um, uh, about your partner. Yeah. Who, who, it wasn't my sexual partner, a uh, business partner. Uh, oh, oh, your business partner. Yeah. Um, but we knew each other a long time, you know. We were very, very close. I mean, I think I'm I'm very fortunate to live now in an era where we have effective treatments yeah, yeah, for HIV. Do. And the revolution uh, regarding those treatments came in 1996 with the introduction of antiretroviral treatments. Um, I now take my, well, I, I take my HIV medication daily and it has no side effects and I can expect a normal lifespan. Um, one of the big dangers though, and something which you touched on as well, is late diagnoses. Yeah. So um, it's um, if, if people are diagnosed late, there's more potential for the HIV virus to damage the immune system. Right. Now around 40% 
of people in the UK are still diagnosed late. So um, I would encourage anyone um, who hasn't had a test, um, if they've had a casual partner within the last year, to take one um, because um, it, it's very unfortunate um, to, to, to have a blood test and for it then just to show up. Yeah, you well, I have a gay, a gay bar and a gay hotel in Blackpool. We do awareness of HIV uh, problems all the time, you know, tell people. Because <clears throat> the, the hotel in particular has men going there that are, are married men. And of course, men it's a men-only hotel. Right. And, uh, well, we, what would happen we, if, a, I'm joking aside, what would happen if a woman turned up and said, have you got a room for the you just say no. No, we can say no, yeah. We're how allowed we, to, how are you a specialist allowed, group of how people. How are you allowed to do that? Your specialist group. We run it as a specialist group uh, hotel. Is that a, is that a legal it's definition? Perfectly legal, yeah. Because wasn't that that, that thing? Um, you know, the reason I'm asking that because I think there was a. Um, a, a yeah, they've got specialist There was a Christian. There was a very devout Christian couple who ran a B and B or something, and a gay couple turned up yeah. and they were refused entry. That's and a that little bit. That's a, a little bit That was a big hoo ha. They they are advertising people in general. You see, they yeah. they wouldn't refuse most people. <coughs> we advertise purely men only, so we are a specialist group. It's a specialist uh, hotel for men only. The only, the only person, the only person, no idea only lady that. that gets in there is the cook, the lady who got lady that cooks there. So she's allowed in. Yeah. it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I I didn't think you could do that. Oh yes, no you can. You're perfectly legal. Yeah. Philip, did you know yeah. that? Um, I um, I I was aware of it. Um, I mean, I've um, there was also the um, the case um, in Northern Ireland regarding a bakery. The bakery, yes, um, and uh, who who were who denied a gay couple a cake to celebrate um, their uh, civil partnership. I think. And um, however, ultimately, the court ruled ruled in their favour. They did, didn't they? In the favour end, that I I never have. You know, I just think live. It sounds ridiculous, but live and let live. That that's always been how my dad was, how I am. You know, it's a nice theory, but it doesn't work. No, it doesn't. No, no, I know. I I know. You know, I know that. It sounds a little naive, but it's how you'd like life to be. You know, it doesn't bother me. You're happy, that, that's great, you know. But there are people out there that... Yeah, but what, why is that? It, it is amazing. Because there's still amazing. a lot Amazing. We've got to fight and fight and fight. I saw a, a tweet this morning. I woke up at six o'clock, couldn't help it. And I saw a tweet this morning from a guy I work with uh, on another radio station, Talk Radio, it's a guy called Christo Fufus, uh, who's gay. And he showed a tweet that had been sent. Um, you know, how dare they have... I'm using the word that was in the tweets, not my terminology. Uh, you know, how dare they have queers on the radio? Get rid of all these queers. Oh, Why are you employing this? And I, I just wrote to Chris, who's like the world's nicest guy. I said, jeez, you know, bloody hell. That's what I actually wrote. Bloody hell, what's all that about? It's amazing. We're going to come back and talk about uh, combating all of this. There's loads more fascinating guests today. Um, they always are, but today just particularly riveting, I think. Um, we're going to try to pay the rent. You're listening to Men's Radio Station, where men really talk. And 
We're back. I'm Russ Kane, and uh, the conversation today is just absolutely riveting. But uh, you, you may have stare noticed. You may have shut up. You may have noticed what what he's referring to is the fact that in the ad break, I popped a uh, lozenge in to ease my throat because three hours of chatting is is a lot, um, and I obviously I don't want to be sitting here talking with the lozenges rattling around. So I put it on the pack of the Ricola lozenges, and now he's sitting there going, like, I've just done something disgusting. Is it really bothering it's you? staring at me. <laughs> you, you were very quiet, Mr. Phil Dave, and uh, the reason is because you just got some fantastic news. Yes, I have. I, I can't quite believe I'm saying this, but I have just, as Men's Radio Station is live, found out about... 10, 15 minutes ago that I've become an uncle for the first time. So. Yay! Thanks. Yeah. Thank yeah. Anyway. Uncle so, yes. Phil. I know, right? So, oh, it makes me sound really old. Uncle Maybe I'll just, I'll just stick with Phil, I think. Uncle anyway. From now on, you're just Uncle Phil Dave. <laughs> That's it. Uncle Phil <laughs> Dave's here, everybody. It's like Uncle Mac. Yeah. Children's favourites. Um, that's that's a boy girl. Sorry, that's uh, it is a boy. It's a little boy. Do we have a name yet? No, we didn't. In as, as tradition would state, we won't know that for eight days. So, wow. <clears throat> but no anyway. rush then in your own time. Whenever, <laughs> whenever you're in. Well, obviously, my sister and my brother-in-law know what the name will be, but I don't. Well, maybe so they no, don't. Maybe no they one they else don't. Maybe they don't know for they? eight maybe days. They maybe they have no reason. idea what the name is. But anyway, look, uh, moving on to... No, no, no. We so. just want to dwell on this for just a second now. No, no, this is very exciting. We what have dwelled ba- on it for what is, No, shush. What did the baby weigh? I have got a note of that as well. <laughs> okay, here we go. Here we go. Don't Everything you find right. that some of the questions are so cliche? Why does it matter how much the baby weighs? Uh, because I've got a bet that. with James that it's under 12 stone. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, uh, James said, no, it's over 12 stone. It apparently... Big, big baby. It, yeah, a, a baby weighed apparently six pounds, nine ounces. Marvellous. Okay. Is, I don't, is that a good that, thing? That's a, good. It's a good weight. Anyway, congratulations. Thank you very much. I don't know why we digressed in that. Just I don't know either, but we but have got a message sudden. on Facebook, if I may read that out, before we delve back into the art of conversation. Yeah. Bernadette has said on Facebook, all the the time we've been live, we've been asking people on Facebook whether or not society's attitudes towards the LGBTQ plus community has improved, if it needs more improving, what's the status of that? Anyway, Bernadette has said, unfortunately, there will always be pockets of society that will not or cannot accept gay people due to their religion. But thankfully here in the UK, regardless of religion, uh, that gay people are not allowed to be discriminated against. It must be terrible for gay people within communities where to be gay. It is still not acceptable. How do those people cope or reach out when possibly the outcome with their family or community will be that they are disowned? The loneliness, frustration and terror of coming out must be overwhelming for them. Really fascinating that she mentions that. I've just finished, maybe a couple of weeks ago, a book by someone called Evan someone the name will come back to me in just a moment but the book's title is they called me misguided and it is his struggle about recognizing that he is gay in an orthodox jewish community and how he deals with that and he's written a book of fascinating they call misguided Evan Bloom that's his name Evan Bloom we should get him in well, well, there you are. There's yeah. your, there's your, there's your, there's your <laughs> Evan, task. if you're listening. <laughs> there's, your task, there's your task for the week. You know, I mean, everyone says we're not a, uh, a an accepting society, but we don't throw gay people off the top of buildings in Britain last time I checked. So uh, we're better than a hell of a lot of, other, a lot of other places. Right. Special guest. You knew him as Kendo Nagasaki. We now know him as Peter Thornley. He's in here. And also Philip 
Baldwin. Philip, you're now an activist. Explain what you're activating. So I, I campaign across a range of human rights issues. However... As a uh, lawyer? No. So I, I, I left the city in March 2015 right. um, to, to concentrate full-time on my writing and campaigning. Um, I... Obviously, being HIV positive, um, sexual health is one of the core areas that I campaign on. Um, I campaign on LGBT rights, homelessness, and faith in that I'm also gay and Christian. Um, I thought the message that um, that your sent, yeah. was, was really interesting, actually. Um, I do a lot of work to make faith communities more inclusive. Um, a few days ago, I went to a school. Um, I'm a Stonewall role model, and I had the opportunity over... Explain the... what that means. So um, I, I visit schools to discuss uh, coming out mm -hmm. and faith. And one of the areas uh, which Bandet correctly identified um, as being... Uh, an area where inclusivity for LGBT people uh, is still difficult is within faith communities. So I think it's really important that I get the messaging out there that it's okay to be gay and Christian. Um, Jesus's message ultimately was one of love. How have you found the opportunity to maintain a Christian belief versus or in conjunction with being gay how has that been for you if at all possible so i attend two inclusive church of england churches at st john's in waterloo and st anne's in soho both are headed by openly gay priests at the moment the church of england is going on it's well it's going on a journey with sexuality. It's a battleground at the moment, really. However, progress is being made. Um, Archbishop Justin Welby uh, stated that all gay Christians should be welcomed within churches. Um, he um, uh, also um, in 2017, the Church of England Synod or Parliament banned conversion therapy. However, on same-sex marriage, the Church still won't allow uh, same-sex couples to get uh, married uh, within, within their churches. Um, and that's something which is very important for me because one day I would like to marry another man within a Church of England church. Why is, why is that important to you? Um, I, I think um, it's really important um, that, uh, for me as, uh, as, as a Christian, and I believe that uh, we should have full equality. 
Mm. There's two uh, things which have been running concurrently this week, and I'd really be interested in your views and, and, and yours as well, Peter. Is this one of them was there's a whole hoo ha going on because there's a headmaster trying to teach about uh, being gay and that's and being inclusive in a school um, with a very large Muslim. Uh, a group of children there and all the parents who all appear to be muslim are protesting outside so that's number one how do you how do you feel about that so in july of last year the government launched their lgbt action plan that included a number of important um points um where we need to make progress and one of those is that we need compulsory and same-sex inclusive sex and relationships education in all schools and my view is that there should be no opt-out for faith schools um, within that. Um, I often speak at schools where there are really pupils from a range of backgrounds um, whether that's uh, economic backgrounds or of, of, of different races um, of different religious beliefs and I actually find that they relate very well to my story when I tell them about being gay and Christian and at one school that I spoke at after my speech, a young Muslim actually stood up and came out to his entire year. Wow. And how, how, how was that great. received? Um, it, it, it went down um, very well. I think his, his school had been trying to foster a more inclusive um, policy. Um, I was told afterwards that the student had warned his form tutor that he was planning to do this and i think what the student wanted to do he want he just wanted to take the opportunity of me being there of a representative from stonewall being there mm. to come out to his entire year group mm -hmm. in in one go how, how, how old was he i'm just curious um I think he was in in, in the in his GCSE year, so yeah, around 16. 15, 16, something, 16, something like that. Now, acting as devil's advocate, which I do from time to time, normally Phil does that, but he's very, very busy with family matters. And very I do apologise. I know we are live, he, I'm he sorry. He couldn't <laughs> give us stuff, really. He's just... Excuse just, me, I have an ability to listen as well. No, you don't. Only women can do that. You can't do that. You can't multitask. It's a fact. Sorry, what um, did you just say? Uh, I said you can't multitask. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, I got the gag. Um, how do you react when people say, you know, to, to, to people like yourself, they'd say to you, like, uh, Mr. Baldwin, really sick and tired of you pushing this agenda. Uh, this is ridiculous. This is a tiny minority, and we're fed up with you filling our kids with all this nonsense. Can you just keep yourselves to yourselves and go away? 
Um, I mean, I think it's really important to get this messaging out to young people. And an example that illustrates that perfectly um, is the work that I do with another charity called the Albert Kennedy Trust. So they help young LGBT homeless people. Um, that they help young homeless people between the ages of 16 and 25. And actually, a quarter of young homeless people in the UK are LGBT. Why? And, well, well the, the reason is that they um, often, they come from families who hold strong religious beliefs. They come out to their families or faith communities or they're outed by a sibling or friend or on social media. Mm. And the next thing they know, they're on on the streets or um, perhaps sofa surfing, which means staying with yeah. a friend. Um, so they it, it can be very difficult for uh, teenagers coming out as gay, um, if it, particularly if, if they come from a reli religious background. I can't imagine, I've got four kids, and I can't imagine uh, if any of them, they could kind of say anything to me. I could not imagine saying, get out of my house, I never want to see you again. The thought of them being on the street is just so abhorrent to me. Um, but that's I, the point, it's abhorrent to you. But yeah. of course there are a lot of people who have their views so entrenched, so mm -hmm. deep-rooted within themselves that they cannot oversee anything other than that belief system. And personally, I consider myself reasonably religious. I'm not ultra-Orthodox by any stretch of the imagination, but I consider myself to be reasonably religious and very spiritual. But I believe that I belong to a community as far as the branch of the community, which is all-inclusive and very understanding and moves with the times. But to belong to a more religious sector of the community, anyone wondering what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Jewish community. So to belong to a more religious element of that, where they do struggle to be inclusive and to think outside of what we've been led to believe for thousands of years, I, I don't think I would be as religious for it. So I mm. do believe that there is a balance and it, it can happen. I don't get why people clutch on to views in such a closed mind. Well, it takes the It's the way you're from, isn't it? It's the, it's, you know, you're brought up into a religion and if that's instilled into you from birth, that's what you think. It's almost brainwashing, isn't it? And then yes, but that's brainwashing against your family, though. That's what I don't understand. You're talking, if someone is actually related to you, it's your flesh and blood, and they are saying that this is what I am, and yet their yeah. belief is that strong that they would turf their own flesh but and blood out of the street is unbelievable. Religious fanaticism has been around for years. Even if it comes to family and stuff like that. I mean, I, it's weird. I've never had any problems with it. And even when I was at school, there was always... It's funny you said you were, that he did it at school and he did it in assembly. Because when I was at school, there was definitely a couple of gay kids in the year. Like, we all knew it. But they never came out and said it. But we knew it because, you know, they had they hang out with the boys and stuff like that. And, you know, they sort of thing. But we all, we all knew, but they never actually came out. So I always wonder, like, why that was. They never. They was reckon it's because they never felt like they could. Like we all knew it. We was. He was still my. They were still my friends. One of them was a very close friend of mine. You know. But I knew he was gay. You know. I knew he wasn't interested in the girls. He was more interested in the boys, sort of thing. But he never came out and said it. You know. I mean, I, I when I was at school, I I only felt able to come out to one other person at my school. Um, the environment. Uh, at my school was very 
homophobic. Homophobic language was regularly used by the students. And there was a pattern of teachers failing to challenge students when they used homophobic language in the classroom. I would say that that was one of the biggest problems in that um, I remember feeling so humiliated when I was taunted in front of my teachers. And in front of the teachers? Bad. Yeah. Well, how yeah. the hell did that... Why, why did so they I, allow I, to happen? They, That's extraordinary. They would taunt me for being gay in front of the teachers. The teachers wouldn't participate, yet at the same time, they did nothing to stop it. And that really empowered the bullies. Of course and, it would. And if it, you're not doing nothing to stop it, that's just as bad I, as I, doing I, it. it. It's, it's by admission condoning, yeah. really, in my view. And it, it, it was following on from a number of incidents like that in the classroom that I subsequently had my phone stolen. Um, also, when I was walking to the canteen, I was attacked and pushed to the ground. So it caused the homophobic bullying to escalate because they didn't intervene. It's, it's funny, there was never any homophobic bullying at my school, but there was always that group of boys that we thought would keep, you know what I mean, that we thought it was possible. You know, we'd always make sure if I, if we Sorry, saw... Sorry, when you say it was possible, what you, it was possible that they, they were, themselves were gay or no, it was no, no, possible they, that they, they would, they they would the, carry they were, out they were, the, they were the bad kids and they were the ones that tended to say things to other kids sort of thing, but it never happened. It was weird and we always knew they could have easily done it, but it was weird. I, maybe it was just a, a different thing. Sorry, I know it's like, oh, we have to... <laughs> have to yeah, so it's, it's, funny that, it's funny how it worked that way, but it, there was never... It's weird, maybe it's a generational thing, maybe it's a lot more accepted... Uh, being a bit younger, but I don't know. It never, you know, he was always. They were always very welcomed. In well, my, if I can just destroy one of the stereotypes, I was uh, uh, not older than you, and I was uh, sent away to boarding school when I was nine, and I emerged out of boarding school when I was eighteen. And uh, you would think that would be a hotbed of this, that, and the other, and and it absolutely wasn't. It goes against all the stereotypes that you think, and there was no uh, bullying and stuff like that. Apart from the school bully who is now the school solicitor. He still is. He's absolutely a bully. But he was an absolute sod at school. He really was. <laughs> but that's the thing. There was always the school bullies, but they never, they never went into that territory. You know, I used to get picked on for being a Jew. Like, I'll put my hands up and say yeah, that. We've been there, done that. Exactly. Like, we've all yeah. been there. But, the, the, you know, my, my friend, he never, it was never brought into it. It was almost as if they didn't want to talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't want to go there. Um, so, 45% um, of LGBT students are bullied in school on account yeah, sure, of, yeah. of their sexuality or gender. And that's from a Stonewall report from 2017. So, that's almost half of LGBT students do, do experience some form of bullying. Why are they, are they bullied because... Uh, they're perceived as different. Are they bully? You often bully people that you're scared of. Yeah, it's a kind of, a kind of double bluff. I mean, I don't, I don't. Again, I don't get it. It's not how my mind works. But were they because you were different at school? Because you were gay? I mean, what? What was their beef with? What was their beef with you? Well, it, it's quite interesting how it started. So it, it began by students saying that I was effeminate. And they almost labelled me as gay. 
And they were using the word gay as an insult from an early age um, when I was 11. So I'd been exposed to homophobic bullying before I was even aware of my own sexual orientation. Can I ask you a question? That's because uh, people, you know, as a gag, you know, you say, what do you, what do you, what do you think of this jacket? Boy, gay. Or something like that. And I don't immediately think, Oh, it's it's a it's a homosexual thing. I just think it's a gag, and it's just a term, and it, I don't I don't ascribe to it anything negative. It just I don't. But but you, you would you be upset about that? Um, I, I, I if it's done with a th kind of throwaway and no malice whatsoever. I mean, I, I I think you have to be very careful about the way that that gay is um, the, the word is is used. Um, I mean, I, I think if, if anyone is using that in a negative sense, I think you, you, you should call them up on that. Call I mean, for example, if we, in, sitting in down for, if we were sitting down for lunch, right, I mean, I, I could just imagine like, you know, somebody saying, well, I'm going to have a salad. Oh, salad. Gay. The, you know, I mean, they'd be thinking because they'd be tucking into a burger or something like that. I don't know. But would the, you'd find that I'm, I'm curious. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, 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 no, I, I get that. I, I'd be offended by that. And I think it, it can be so damaging, particularly for young people. Yeah. Interesting. It's just a negative connotation. Um, uh, it's just negative association with the word, isn't it? And that's what you don't want to avoid. Uh, uh, I can't get you don't want word. to reward it. You don't want to reward it. Yeah. It's, right. it's just that idea of like, this is a bad word, it, it, but it's not. Is it? I mean, they I don't do say in a terrible. Sorry, Phil. They don't I, say in a terrible. I'm, I'm not. Def I'm, I'm not going to defend it because it's kind of indefensible. But they don't say it in a terrible way. You know, you're a homosexual because you're having a salad. It's just. It's just a light-hearted. In, th in this instance, uh -huh. it's a light. Not to you. I get that. I get that. Look, you're an activist. You're a formal lawyer. I get that. You'd be offended, and I, and that, that's okay. I'm just curious. I just like pushing the boundaries and but, seeing how far it all squeaks. They get in trouble with me if they if if if, if they if, if they said that in front of me. I I. I I get, I get angry with them. I do wonder, though, <laughs> how much of the people who are carrying out, the perpetrators who are actually carrying out the homophobic abuse in schools, how much it is because they are grappling with their own sexuality, that they're afraid of it, that that is the reason why that they have this defense mechanism because it throws people off the scent. It would make people believe that there's no way they could possibly have those thoughts themselves if they were carrying out attacks um, towards someone who clearly is comfortable with their sexuality. I mean, you could speculate about that, although I think that's possibly a stereotype as well. Um, I mean, I realised that I was gay from about the age of 13 or 14, and I never bullied anyone else um, no, but that's exactly my point. Is because you recognised it. You you were, you were confident. You knew who you were. Therefore, you weren't likely to be one of those perpetrators. Whereas, if you've got someone, it's teenage years. It's known that sexual feelings can be all over the place before someone actually does know who they are. And even then, they're not a hundred percent sure. But the point is that if they are that confused sexually and are so in denial about it, maybe that's what causes. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm just sort of, as you say, be, speculating. It, but I wonder if that's what causes that kind of vile It behavior. is vile, but you know what? People don't like different. Well People just don't like different. <clears throat> Could well be, as he says. Because yeah. I was a bully at school, of course, and I was very aware of my sort of sexual tendencies. I think the more I 
exposed myself to it, the more aggressive I became. And was it a sort of a denial, was it, <clears throat> do you think? I don't know, that's a bit complicated. But I was certainly uh, aggressive. So, and, and, uh, and obviously I had a gay, a gay tendency as well. And so, Peter... And I would, people who I would fancy, I would be more aggressive. People I fancy, I'd be more aggressive towards them as well. That's really interesting. So, if you'd have been at school with Philip, if you, if you had, obviously. Uh, I, no, I know there's different ages. I, I get that. Wave a magic wand. Wave a magic wand. Would you have bullied, bullied Philip? Because you thought he was gay? I should think he, he thought he was gay. a target for bullying, yeah. Well. Because he's... Wow. Well, How do you feel about that? That's amazing, well, isn't it? I, I'm very, very honest. I mean, Thank I, you. I, very honest. I, I, I used to get bullied by everyone when I was at school. fighting person, I can pick up the weaknesses in Philip in that way. Weaknesses in how do you mean? It's just something you know. It's something you know, don't you? Well, no, I don't. I'm asking. Like I mean, me. you're a very physical if, if guy. If you like me, you do. No, no, precisely. I, I, but you're you're wired I, differently because I, you're I, a very I, physical I know guy. All the people I, I, I would say I'm a very assertive person. Yeah, not I, compared I, to Peter. Yeah, yeah, same, <laughs> at the same time, I would pick up on that that you would be easy a pushover in that way if I was wanted to bully you. And you do do. I can tell. I could bully any people in this room. Well, yeah, because you're a very tough exactly, guy. Exactly, but I, that's what I'm saying. I am that type of person. But I would. But if somebody, if certain people walk in this room, I yeah. know I couldn't bully them. Why? Because you. you but just it's not physicality. Is you it? instinctively know. But it's not a physicality. I've got to hand it to him. He's right. No, it's more. <laughs> than, it's it's physical, but it's also the way they present themselves. It's something. It's the way they they, they, they create an atmosphere around themselves. Physical people do. You and, do. I, it's interesting. Other people you don't. did. Well, I'm a physical person. No, I know. And I, you train every... That's what I'm saying. I, I'm the oh, sort of guy that... I'm that sort of person, you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I recognise people who aren't instantly. I know who's going to be a challenge and who isn't. I wouldn't feel threatened by any of you. <laughs> You've well, never seen well, You've never yeah. seen Phil in a pissy I, I would, mood. I would be threatened by clearly. all four of you together. No. <laughs> Hang on just a cotton picking second. Just, I'm in a good mood today. Let me I'm just just tell you, Mr but Kendo Nagasaki, that not all of us in this room would not take you on at once. <laughs> no, not in any way. No, I'm not trained by the best. <laughs> no, 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 I wouldn't. No, but, but I'm not a physical you, guy. But you just it, know. I mean, having been in that business, the fighting. And, yeah, you know, you just know. It's an instinct. It's it's what you call doing, not doing. It, you, it's intuitive. It's there. You just doing know. not. I love that. Come on. That comes from from the Tao, of course, doesn't it? Doing yes. not doing. Taoism. Have you studied the Tao? No, no. Not. Instead of what? Doing, have I it's, it's Chinese. Not studying, it's, it's like, studied that. I beg your pardon, sorry, it was the, it was the language studying barrier. Studying the Tao. It's the, it's the same as Confucianism around the same time. The Tao. Well, and it's doing, not doing it. But when you're, not, when you're doing, not doing, you're doing everything. Because everything is, is entering into your space at the same time. And you're not concentrating on it, you're just, you're just there and you're doing it. So that's how, that's how the best Aikido, the best martial arts people do whatever they do by not thinking about it. Yeah, it's like... They when, allow um, it to happen. You just let it happen, yeah. wow. And it's called doing, not doing. Well, speaking of doing, uh, we're going to uh, take an ad break. See what I did there? Did you that was just a, a Are you going to go back to your cough suite? Uh, I don't know. I don't like to give away all my trade secrets. <laughs> uh, we'll be back in just a moment after we've paid the rent. <laughs> <laughs> 